the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. Welcome to your Sunday liturgy. This is the program that accompanies you as you prepare for the Sunday Eucharistic celebration. After the Sunday liturgy, you can listen to our bulletin of church news that will be followed by Panorama. Then, our feature, The World Around Us, with news about our environment. I'm Father Paul Samasumo. Now, as it is, our bodies are given to us by the Lord God. They are sacred. But we have a responsibility to care for our own bodies but also to honor other people. We must care for our bodies, both physically and spiritually. Third Sunday of Lent, Year B. A reading from the book of Exodus. In those days, God delivered all these commandments. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. You shall not have other gods besides me. You shall not carve idols for yourselves in the shape of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down before them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment for their father's wickedness on the children of those who hate me, down to the third and fourth generation, but bestowing mercy down to the thousandth generation on the children of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain. Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. Six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
No work may be done then either by you or your son or daughter, or your male or female slave, or your beast, or by the alien who lives with you. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that you may have a long life in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female slave, nor his ox or ass, nor anything else that belongs to him. The Word of the Lord. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, Jews and Greeks alike, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The Word of the Lord. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and oxen, and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves he said, Take these out of here, and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of Scripture, Zeal for your house will consume me. At this the Jews answered and said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. While he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. The Gospel of the Lord And now with this week's Sunday Liturgy Reflection, here is Father Enobong. The best we can do in this Lenten season 
is to purge ourselves of our sins and return in humility to God, acknowledging Him as our Lord and God, who brought us out of slavery to sin into His own wonderful light. Christian faith and morals have never been against the progress of humanity. Neither should we see God's commandments as burdensome. I will prefer we see the commandments of God as a loving father's safety rules for his children. God, through the commandments, invites us to abide in his love and through it, love our neighbor. We pray for the grace to be faithful to this. May the message of Christ in all its richness continue to find a home in our hearts through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Peace be with you. Robin Piri, Father Hilary Munyaneza, and Father Enobongudaidion contributed to the program. I'm Father Paul Samasumo. Do stay tuned in for our bulletin of church news and later the world around us, all about our environment. Pastors Tarawali, Pope Francis on Saturday morning presided at the inauguration of the 95th judicial year of the Tribunal of Vatican City State in the Hall of Benedictions. In his prepared remarks, read by Monsignor Filippo Ciampanelli, due to a cold he has been battling for the past week, the Holy Father reminded the magistrates that administering justice requires the virtue of courage and humility in pursuing the truth and even in facing criticism. Lisa Zengarini reports. Addressing the Vatican magistrates, Pope Francis focused his reflection on the virtue of courage, which he said for Christians is not only a particular quality of heroic individuals, but rather a trait that is given and enhanced in encountering Christ as a fruit of the action of the Holy Spirit that anyone can receive if we invoke him. He recalled that in the jurisdictional function, courage is needed in the first place to thoroughly ascertain the truth, remembering that doing justice is always an act of charity, an opportunity for fraternal correction aimed at helping the other recognize his or her mistake. This, he stressed, is all the more true when particularly serious and scandalous behaviours emerge and must be sanctioned, especially when they occur within the Christian community. 
The same courage, the Pope went on to note, is needed while striving to ensure the proper conduct of proceedings. The best response to outside criticism, he told the Vatican magistrates, is diligent silence and the seriousness of commitment to work which allow the Vatican tribunals to administer justice with authority and impartiality, ensuring due process while respecting the peculiarities of the Vatican legal system. Concluding, Pope Francis recalled the courage of prayer to implore that the light of the Holy Spirit always illuminates the discernment necessary to reach a just verdict. Prayer, he said, should never be considered as a waste of time. I am Lisa Zengarini. Shortly after that meeting with the magistrates of the Vatican Tribunal, the Pope received in private audience German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who later met with Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Parolin, accompanied by Monsignor Miroslav Wachowski, Undersecretary for Relations with States. A statement from the press office of the Holy See said during the cordial discussions at the Secretariat of State, both sides expressed satisfaction for the good relations and fruitful collaboration between the Holy See and Germany, noting the importance of the Christian faith in German society. Joseph Tulloch reports. Although the two had already met at Pope Benedict XVI's funeral at the beginning of 2023, this was their first private audience. They had also spoken on the phone after the start of the war in Ukraine two years ago. After his meeting with the Pope, Chancellor Schultz met with Vatican Cardinal Secretary of State, Pietro Parolin. I'm very grateful for the extensive conversation with the Pope, the social democratic politician said. We naturally also discussed the major challenges and problems of our times and talked about topics that concern us all. He went on to list these subjects. The Russian aggression against Ukraine, the many deaths that this war has already caused, and the threat to the independence and freedom of Ukraine. We also discussed, he said, the war in the Middle East, and discussed how we can ensure peace and security in our world. Other big questions on the agenda included migration and the question of justice and coexistence. An official statement from the Vatican Press Office said that, during the warm conversations in the Secretariat of State, satisfaction was expressed over the good relations and fruitful cooperation between the Holy See and Germany. The importance of the Christian faith in German society was also emphasised. Chancellor Scholz gave the Pope the official football of the upcoming European Championships, which will be hosted in Germany, as well as a white porcelain bear with a German flag on it. The Pope gave the politician a bronze artwork entitled Social Love. It depicts a child helping another child to stand up. The bronze work bears the inscription Amare Ayutare, Love to Help. I'm Joseph Tullock. Earlier on Saturday, Pope Francis offered words of closeness and comfort to a group of parents who are mourning the loss of a child and suggested that prayer can bring solace to the heart. The Pope's words came during an audience in the Vatican with some 120 parents of the members of the Talitacum Association of Vicenza in northern Italy. Pope Francis has sent a message to all the children of the world ahead of the first ever World Day of Children to be marked on the weekend of the 25th and the 26th of May in Rome. In the message published on Saturday, the Holy Father encouraged children to be united and to listen to advice from grown-ups. He also urged adults to be close to children who suffer and to listen to the cries of those who have been robbed of their childhood. Francesca Merlo reports. An encouragement to be close to those who suffer. As Pope Francis addresses children from all over the world, some of whom will be joining him in Rome for the very first World Children's Day in May, he invites them to never forget all the children who are suffering or going through a difficult time. He is referring to those battling illnesses and those whom he describes as being cruelly robbed of their childhood. 
Amongst these are victims of war and violence, victims of hunger and thirst. Some are children living on the streets, forced to be soldiers or to flee as refugees separated from their parents. Others are prevented from going to school, and some are preys of criminal gangs, drugs, or other forms of slavery and abuse. We must listen to their voices, the Pope tells the children. Pope Francis explains that creating a caring and fraternal society starts with little things like saying hello to others, or asking permission, begging pardon, and saying thank you. If we are not ashamed to take small steps one at a time, our world will change, he says. Then, in his message to the children, the Pope highlights the importance of friendship. Everything is always better when we are together, stresses the Pope, inviting the children to share their joys with one another. Gifts are nice, he says, but only if they help us to be together. Bring his message to a close. Pope Francis then goes on to disclose what he describes as a secret to the children: the secret of prayer. He says that prayer fills our hearts with light and warmth, and he invites the children to pray to the Father to become builders of a new, more humane, just, and peaceful world. I am Francesca Merlo. You're tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio. African News Panorama. Interim President of Chad, Mahamat Idris Deby, said on Saturday he plans to run in this year's long-awaited presidential race. Mr. Deby's confirmation came a few days after opposition politician Yaya Dilo was shot and killed in the capital N'Djamena. Mr. Deby initially promised an 18-month transition to elections after he seized power in a coup in 2021 when his father, who had ruled the country for many years, was killed in clashes with rebels. But his government later adopted resolutions that delayed elections until 2024 and allowed him to run for president. On Friday, the government of Chad confirmed that Mr. Deby's uncle, General Saleh Deby Itno, had been arrested in the wake of Wednesday's events that led to the death of the opposition leader. General Itno had recently defected to Mr. Dilo's party, the Socialist Party Without Borders. Kenya and Haiti signed agreements on Friday to try to salvage a plan for the East African country to deploy 1,000 police officers to the troubled Caribbean nation to help combat gang violence. Kenya agreed in October to lead a UN-authorized international police force to Haiti, but a Kenyan high court in January ruled the plan unconstitutional. One of the arguments against the deployment was a lack of reciprocal agreements between the two countries. Kenyan President William Ruto said in a statement that he and Haitian Prime Minister Ariel Henry witnessed the signing of the reciprocal agreements between the two countries in Nairobi on Friday. Gang violence has surged in Haiti in recent days. More than 8,400 people were reported killed, injured or kidnapped in the Caribbean nation last year, more than double the number reported in 2022. The gangs continue to fight over territory and are estimated to control up to 80% of the capital, Port-au-Prince. You're tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio.
Hello and welcome to the World Around Us News About Our Environment. I am Festus Tarawali. Delegates at the just-ended 6th UN Environment Assembly on Thursday withdrew a motion calling for more research into technologies that aim to fight climate change by reflecting the sun's rays back into space amid concerns about health and environmental risks. Some who opposed the draft resolution at a meeting in Nairobi, which ended on Friday, were also worried that the use of solar radiation modification, or SRM, might enable major polluters to delay the urgent need to phase out fossil fuels. Organizations watching the debate said, Switzerland and Monaco first tabled a resolution on examining the geoengineering technology in December, and it was discussed during this week's assembly in Nairobi. The original version called for the convening of an expert group that would produce a report examining the SRM's possible applications, risks and ethical considerations. One of the best-known proposals for using it involves blasting sulfur dioxide, a coolant, into the higher reaches of the atmosphere. According to Kenya's climate envoy at the meeting, Ali Mohammed, African countries opposed the resolution. He said the science is very, very nascent and the risks are unknown. The envoy also pointed to the fact that there are many solutions to the regulation of greenhouse gases at this stage. The Center for International Environmental Law, or CL, said the European Union, Pacific Island states, Colombia and Mexico also came out against the resolution. During the 26th February to the first March meeting in Nairobi, UN leaders warned that the risks from climate change, pollution and biodiversity loss are real. Daniel Johnson of UN News tells us more. The week-long meeting is the world's highest-level decision-making body for environment matters. In support of its work, UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres led the call for urgent, concrete and sustainable measures to prevent our climate from imploding. And with poisoned rivers and rising seas, just two of the major threats facing our world, Mr Guterres insisted that humanity is to blame, and yet those least responsible suffer most. Echoing that message, Inga Anderson, head of the UN Environment Programme, or UNEP, appealed to delegates attending the meeting in Nairobi to create space for the climate to stabilise, for nature to recover, and for pollution to recede, providing the basis for economies and societies to flourish sustainably. She said that the international community had already shown that it can work together on many significant environmental safeguards. These include global agreements to protect the ozone layer, many endangered species and huge areas of land and sea. Ms Anderson also applauded how the international community had agreed to slow the rate of climate change and raised the profile of action to combat desertification and land degradation. She noted that billions of people depended on the UN Environment Assembly to succeed. In his address to delegates on Thursday, Kenyan President William Ruto, joined by other leaders from Africa and beyond, also stressed the urgency of united action on climate change, pollution and biodiversity laws. The Kenyan president also spoke about Africa's vision on climate change as brought out in the final document of last September's first-ever Africa Climate Summit, also held in Nairobi. Last September, Kenya and the United and the Africa Union Commission convened the first Africa Climate Summit here in Nairobi. The summit culminated in the Nairobi Declaration on Climate Change and Call to Action, which set out our vision as Africans for climate-positive economic growth and development on our continent. The summit 
recognized that our continent has the fundamentals to spearhead progressive progress along a path compatible with effective climate action by serving as a cost-competitive industrial hub with the capacity to support other regions in achieving their net zero ambitions. It also called for the urgent reform of the global financial architecture to rectify its current deficiencies and modernize the entire system to meet the development needs of the majority in the 21st century. African countries and many other developing countries pay significantly higher costs, up to five times more than others, for our debt. Those seeking investments in private projects face high costs of capital driven by real and imaginary risks. These arbitrary, unjust, discriminatory, and unequal state of affairs is untenable given the pressure of time, limited resources, and the imperative to actualize a fairer and more inclusive development and responsive global governance. Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, international collaboration is crucial in promoting the adoption of the reduce, reuse, and recycle life cycle approaches to waste that are vital for sustaining the blue economy and its ecosystems. Kenya's response to ban single-use plastic has proved effective. To build on this progress, we are implementing the green economy strategy and implementation plan to shift waste management to a circular economy. I urge the global community to advance towards a climate neutral, resource efficient, and circular economy. We commend United Nations Environmental Program, UNEP, for its role in the intergovernmental negotiations for the Global Plastic Treaty. Building on this achievement, and in line with promoting efficiency and effectiveness, I urge the global community to support Africa's position that the Secretariat of the Treaty be headquartered here in UNEP. Kenyan President William Ruto addressing delegates at the just-ended 6th UN Environment Assembly, which took place in Kenya this week. And that's all for this edition of The World Around Us, news about our environment. Till the same time next week, I am Festus Tarawali. You are tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Praise be Jesus Christ. Laudetur Jesus Christus.